We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. In addition to that sports update there, Tom Pelissero of NFL.com just tweeted out, the NFL and NFLPA have agreed to regular season COVID protocols, which will include weekly testing for fully vaccinated players and staff, an increase from every two weeks and a voluntary second weekly test per source. Players with vulnerable cohabitants may elect to test daily. So, there's a little addition to the update there. The NFL is increasing the additional um, or the frequency in which vaccinated players will be tested throughout the season, um, which I think is a step in the right direction, while also giving vaccinated players another bonus, another benefit to being vaccinated by not having to be vaccinated on a day-to-day uh, process in order to basically protect their unvaccinated teammates. 803-0550 is the phone number. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. I just had my hockey plans canceled for tonight. So I was all fired up, ready to go for the show. I got all this energy because he designed my meals and designed like wh- how much coffee I'm drinking and when, all based on when I was going to be playing hockey tonight. Because, you know, for anyone out there that does play hockey, re- even recreationally like I do, you got. You have to think about that kind of stuff. You can't eat right before you play because then you're going to feel like you're going to throw up the whole game. And you can't spread it out too much because at that point you're going you're gonna to be starving and you're going to feel like you have no energy. So even recre- recreationally, I think you, you got to think about it. So I had all this energy ready to go. And I guess it's just going to have to be funneled into the show tonight, right? For the next hour, like I'm going to have to get it all out of my system. Maybe I'll go run or something. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to run because otherwise, the way I've designed my last couple of hours, I'm going to be up till 2 o'clock in the morning. You might be able to sense it in me right now. Like I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. We've got 53-man rosters coming tomorrow, so a lot of cuts. We'll do a little projection on what the Bills are going to look like. Wide receiver is interesting again. The beginning of training camp, I thought it was one of the most interesting positions. That kind of whittled away into what seemed to be a pretty um, pretty likely outcome, which would be Diggs, Beasley, Davis, Sanders, and then your other two would be McKenzie and Kumaro. But there could be a change on that front. So we'll talk 53-man rosters. little golf point on Bryson DeChambeau. 
I mean, he made the BMW championship interesting. Maybe not for everybody, but he made it worthwhile to tune in to the BMW championship. Like, I mean, like any other corporately sponsored golf tournament, why do I care? Why should I care? Point on DeChambeau. He's good for golf. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But I've got to lead off today's show with what could be brewing in Miami and what could be brewing in Houston. The Houston Texans reportedly today, according to Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle, are going to be willing to have Deshaun Watson on their roster all season, pay his $10-plus million salary, and make him inactive all year. Because to this point, it is August 30th. We are under two weeks away from week one. We're under two weeks away from opening Sunday. We are nine days away, ten days away, if I can do quick math in my head, ten days away from the NFL season opener between Tampa Bay and Dallas. And this close to the start of the season, Deshaun Watson, who has over 20 civil lawsuits levied against him, has over a dozen women filing for criminal charges against him. You have the FBI now involved, reportedly have interviewed Deshaun Watson. With all of this going on, He, at this moment in time, he is eligible to play week one. Now, the Texans will not play him week one, but because of other reasons. Watson, before all of these allegations came out against him, said he would never play for the Houston Texans again. He wants to be traded. So, on two fronts, you have a player that probably, I think would refuse to play for the Texans even if they wanted him to. And two, you have the Texans protecting an asset that they will almost undoubtedly trade at some point. But now all that has to be figured out is the timing, how long he's going to be suspended for, if he is suspended, which I think seems like a pretty likely outcome, given the unprecedented number of women that have that have accused Watson of sexual misconduct. He is, at this point, I know innocent until proven guilty, but again, there are just so many lawsuits. It's not all one big lawsuit. It might be the same attorney, but it's over 20 lawsuits. Acquiring Deshaun Watson right now with some of the grotesque, disgusting details that are out there in the civil allegations is just, it's reprehensible to me that he could be traded. But, there really shouldn't be a but to that. It's almost, I feel uncomfortable saying that word after what I just said. Even having to say the word but. But, he's going to be traded. And I think it is reasonable to expect, given what the league is, that he will be traded, and maybe soon. 
I don't know what else is supposed to happen. I mean, I guess in a perfect world, if everything that has come out is accurate, he should never play a down of football again in his life. Or at least an incredibly severe punishment that causes him to sit out for a long time before getting a second chance. But the way I read what's going on with the civil proceedings and the depositions is those will not happen until the spring, maybe. It might be longer than that. We're not going to have resolution on this situation for months. And the season does start next week. And while I think he should be on the commissioner's exemplus, the commissioner's exemplus almost feels like it was specifically designed for situations like this. When you don't feel that you have investigated the situation enough, you do not have enough evidence against a person to suspend them, they go on the commissioner's exemplist. That is kind of what it is designed for. But he's not on it. Why isn't he on it? I know I've read that the league has not been able to interview him yet because there's an active criminal investigation going on. There's no charges yet. So, can they legally put him on that list without there being any charges? That I don't know the answer to. But, just look at the timing. Don't you think, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but here we are. Don't you think if they, if the NFL was planning to put Watson on the commissioner's exemplist, would they not have done it by now? Why wouldn't they have done it three months ago? Now, maybe the answer to that is the league did not think they'd have to act because you have the compounding issue of he won't play for the Texans and the Texans asking for three first-round picks and two second-round picks are in no position to trade him. So he's going to sit on the bench, he's not going to play, and the league is not going to get nearly the amount of blowback they would get for him being on the field without having to do anything. And if he's traded, if he's traded today to the Dolphins, I think the league has to step in, don't they? I don't know what grounds they could step in on, but they'd have to. That rule, the commissioner exemplus, which was arbitrarily created a couple years ago, couldn't you arbitrarily change the, the measures in which somebody goes on it, even if he does not qualify? Because again, this is a situation that warrants that. You continue to gather facts, and in the meantime, you keep them on the shelf. And I have to believe that's what other teams are trying to find the answer to. That's what the Dolphins are trying to find out the answer to. Steven Ross and Chris Greer and Brian Flores. Do they have an answer from the league on, hey, if we trade for him today, can he play week one? Or are you going to step in and either suspend him, or if you're the Dolphins and you give up, and it would be their own fault for giving up the amount of assets on a guy like this. But if they were to give up that amount of assets, what's the worst possible outcome for them? It is the commissioner's exemplist. It is he goes on that list, maybe sits out the season on that list, because, again, 
nothing is being resolved between now and the end of the season. I don't think. Nothing is trending in that direction. So if he goes on the list, he's there for the season. And then next spring, next summer, whenever it may be, when we have a clearer picture on how the civil lawsuits are going to go, and or if he settles, or if there are criminal charges against him, we'll have a clearer picture, a clearer scope on what's going to happen out off the field with him. And after all that happens, then he is suspended. And now you're in for 26 games, maybe, if it's a 10-game suspension, just arbitrarily throwing that number out there, speculating on that. A potential 26-game suspension is really what it would be? And you're giving up three first-round picks in two seconds? Now, the Dolphins could convince themselves that's still a good idea. If morally, they have accepted the idea that they can live with him as the face of their franchise, as preposterous, outlandish, and ludicrous as that might that might sound and seem, if they have convinced themselves that they would go that route, I think Miami does it. I think if they could get past, if they morally can get past all the details and all the fact-finding that we have right now about Watson and the masseuses. I think they do it. Because their blinders are on. Their blinders are on. They're not thinking about anything that's happening except for that 100-yard by 50-yard field on the, on, in the stadium. That's all they're thinking about. And if you are only thinking about the football element in play, there's no doubt at all that Deshaun Watson is a much better investment than Tua Tungavailoa is. If his availability long-term is not in question, and you can morally get past it with him, of course he is a better investment than Tua. I am not a bit high on Tua. I, you've heard me a bunch of times on this station say, I don't think he has the ball velocity the arm strength, or the athleticism to be a successful franchise quarterback in this league. He can be a game manager. He can maybe be Alex Smith. He could take care of the football and throw for 200 yards a game. And if you have a good defense and a good run game, maybe you make the playoffs with him. But there is no point in time to me that that guy is going to stand back in the pocket and make 20% of the throws that he needs to make to be a franchise quarterback. He can't make the throws Josh Allen does. He can't make the throws Patrick Mahomes does, or Zach Wilson, or Trey Lance, or Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield, any of these big-armed franchise quarterback, or at least potential franchise quarterbacks, that are entering the league. Tua doesn't have it. He doesn't even have the upside for that, in my opinion. And guess what? The Dolphins act as though they agree. Ever since they drafted him fifth overall, they act as though they agree. They act as though they don't care about developing him. And maybe they don't care about developing Tua because they don't think there's a lot there to develop. Where, Where is the improvement coming? He already doesn't turn the football over. He already has a good understanding, a good grasp of the offense. He's very good with RPOs and such. 
He already gets that ball in the hands of his playmakers whenever he can in short to intermediate yardage. Where's the improvement coming? Mentally, he's there. Mentally, he's got the game down. He's accurate. You know? He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the football over. The things Tua needs to improve on, and I I say this in a world where Josh Allen improved on a skill that nobody thought could be improved on, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tua, the things he needs to improve on, he can't improve on. I don't think... Now, maybe it can marginally get better one more year after that hip surgery. Maybe he gets a little bit healthier. Maybe some power returns on his his hip to be able to swing his hips around and deliver a strike. But he needs to get a stronger arm. I I don't... You can't teach that. You can't teach that. He needs to be able to throw a faster football. You, You can't teach that. That throw Josh Allen made... To Gabriel Davis for a touchdown on Saturday? Tua does not have that throw in his body. Now, very few quarterbacks do, to be fair. Allen might be the only person on earth who can make that pass. But at least some guy, like a lot of guys can get close to that, right? A lot of guys, even if it doesn't look like that Allen pass on Saturday, if it's not traveling at hyperspeed like it was on Saturday with smoke coming off the football. Mahomes can make that pass. Even if it's not as fast, he can make it. Mayfield can make that pass. Lamar Jackson can make that pass. Kyler Murray can make that pass. I don't think Tua can make that pass. I think if Tua tries to make that pass, the defensive back jumps in front of the receiver, has time to jump in front of the receiver, and he swats it away. You can't teach that. The Dolphins act like they know. The Dolphins act like they understand all of this. Last year, pulling him on multiple occasions. You can't not bring that up enough. When you are pulling, after you've announced him as the starter, when you are pulling the quarterback you just drafted fifth overall, and you are in a playoff race, what are you saying? You value the wins-loss record in that given year. You value the odds of making the playoffs in that given year more than you value the development of the quarterback. From day one that that guy stepped on the field, the Dolphins told you they did not think there was more development there. He's a finished product. That's how they acted. And honestly, I don't even need to say actions speak louder than words here, even though I kind of just did, because they don't really say it either. Brian Flores had a layup this morning. Or was it yesterday? Whatever it was. He had a layup. He got asked twice. Once about the Deshaun Watson situation and the rumors that they're in on him. And then he got asked on a follow-up about his commitment to Tua. And both times it was weak sauce. Both times he couched it. He refused to to dispel any thought that Deshaun Watson could end up being their quarterback this year or they could acquire him. He did not say they're not interested in Deshaun Watson. He danced around it saying that they essentially, well, why don't I just play you the clip? This is Brian Flores this morning talking to the media 
asked about Deshaun Watson and then Tua Tungavailoa. Reports, speculation, not things we really get into. Look, I, I understand the question, but as I've said in the past, any conversations that we have or don't have with other clubs are going to be internal. I've been pretty steadfast about that with our players, with, with, with uh, other clubs, and, and that, that'll, that'll, that'll remain the case. Could you address uh, your confidence in Tua, and uh, did you uh, have to address it with him? Did you have any talks with him? Uh, I'm very confident in Tua. He's done a lot of good things uh, this spring, this offseason, this training camp. Played well last week. And again, my conversations with the players you know, are going to always remain between uh, me and that player. Man, such weak sauce. Such weak sauce there from Brian Flores. He is, in my mind, he's not done with Tua, but that leash is short. And they will, they'll take him off leash right now, I think, if that means they can get their hands on Deshaun Watson. And they think they can realistically pull it off with everything that's happening with him off the field and with the league. You, He had an opportunity there to say, if here's how it should go. If I'm Brian Flores, and behind the scenes, I am... All in on developing Tua Tungavailoa. Here, I'm Brian Brian Flores. This is how I answer the question. Reporter in the background. What do you say to the rumors about you trading for Deshaun Watson? And are you committed to Tua Tungavailoa as your quarterback? Long term. We are not interested in Deshaun Watson. Tua Tungavailoa is our quarterback. We're preparing for week one in the New England Patriots. We are ready to go with Tua as our quarterback against the New England Patriots. That's how you answer that question. If you truly believe that he's your guy, or even has the makings of being your guy, if you think it could happen, that's how you answer that question. I don't think they're committed to Tua. I do not believe they're committed to Tua. And I believe they are going to end up with Deshaun Watson. I don't know when it happens, but I believe the Miami Dolphins, this is a strict hunch, they've got no inside information, reading all the reports, listening to their coach, looking at how they acted last year with their quarterback decision-making, and what they did in the draft this year. I think Miami's going to get Watson. And strictly on the field, look out for that. Because the Bills, I would still pick to be a division winner if Watson were to play even a full season with the Dolphins, but that's a legit Super Bowl contender if they pull that move off. And that's why I think Miami is going to convince themselves that they can do it and that they should do it and all the victims, all the criticism, all the morality be damned. It's reprehensible. It is... It's... It's gross. It's gross. But that is how some in the league think. That's how some in the league think. They don't see it as a morality issue. They see it as an availability issue. And it ends there. And I think... If that's the way the Dolphins are treating it, they'll find their way to Watson. 
Because here's the other thing. They had the third overall pick. Now, you might say, well, they are committed to Tua because they decided not to pick Trey Lance third overall. They decided not to pick Justin Fields. To me, what that tells me is they they were doubling down. They are not interested in developing a young quarterback. The Dolphins are interested in bringing in a finished product quarterback right now that can make them a Super Bowl contender. And if Watson wants to play for them, and if they think they can they can trade for him, then he's the guy they're going to end up with. And my prediction would be they are going to end up with him. And I think they might try to do it before the season. Because here's if if they did it, I don't even know, care if Tua's in the trade or not. Because if I'm Houston, I don't want Tua. I'm going to draft my quarterback first overall next year. What am I going to do with Tua? He is either going to get respun by the Texans or the Dolphins will trade him. He'll go somewhere else. I don't care. Or he'll play for you for 8 to 10 games. Because here's the thing. I don't. It doesn't matter about his long-term development. It doesn't matter about your commitment to him. You trade for Deshaun Watson. And let's say he's suspended for 8 to 10 games before the season starts. I mean, find a guy that gets you through 8 to 10 games. That's how they operate, won't it? And if you're the Dolphins... How big a difference is there on the field between Tua and Jacoby Brissett? I don't think there's that big a gap. I think it's arguable that they're just as good as each other. The record could be the exact same. What's the difference? They're both not really that athletic. They're they're not statues either. They both take care of the football. They both have in, incredible limitations to their... To their to their arm strength and their the ability of the amount of throws they're able to make, I, there's not a big gap. I think that's another reason why I think it happens. I think Miami thinks they can get away with it. And I, I bet you the only thing stopping them from making the trade, well, there's two things that are stopping them from making the trade right now. They won't stop themselves But they're wondering, will the league stop us? Will the league either block the trade, or will the league put him on the commissioner's exempt list so he sits a year, and then there's a looming suspension? And now you're thinking about two years without having him. And then is it worth it? Then I think it becomes a debate. For just on the field, even, it becomes a debate. And the second thing is, the Texans' asking price is through the roof. You think the Sabres are asking for a lot on Jack Eichel? Holy cow, with Houston. Three first-round picks and two seconds. I I appreciate them not selling low on a potential asset. But come on. The guy might never play football again. There's at least some chance of that, isn't there? There probably isn't. There probably should be some chance of that, but there isn't because guys that are talented in that league, get second chances. No matter almost what it is. And exaggerated to that, he's a quarterback and he's 25. He's going to get a second chance. And I think it's going to come in Miami. I think it's going to happen with the Miami Dolphins. And then we are going to have two Titans battling it out for years and years and years to come. 
803-0550 is the phone number. If you agree with me or if you disagree with me, whether or not you see Watson being traded at all or ending up in Miami, let me know. I do want to get to some Bills 53-man roster projections, including at wide receiver. Where do we stand at that position? Also, defensive end. Bam Johnson traded today. How that changes the picture. And then Bryson DeChambeau is just, he's the anti-Tiger Woods. He's the villain golf needs, and we'll get into that a little bit when we return. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Looking for your calls next at 803-0550 here on WGR. I think just starting off super fast, right? Last year we started off fast a lot of games, and that's what helped us as a whole team. Continuously doing that, we're not in a lot of slumps. Just guys just understanding their roles and being in the position they need to be in to do everything so everything works well. Throughout camp, it's been really, really well. Like I said, I think we're in a good spot. Bills running back Zach Moss after Saturday's preseason victory over the Green Bay Packers. The Bills, eight-game win streak in the preseason dating back to 2018. Am I supposed to believe that, that is why they're good? Or not why they're good, but is it in, is it consistent? Like, they're a great team, so they win in the preseason. Because I think the, the common conception on... Preseason is, I mean, flip a coin on who's going to win. That the good, I mean, the the 16, or sorry, the 0-16 Lions went 4-0 in the preseason. Does it matter that much? I don't know, maybe. Maybe the Bills just buy in that much and it is indicative of how good they are. 803-0550 is the phone number. Bills 53-man roster cuts must be in by tomorrow. Uh, by 4 o'clock, we, they will, we will know who is on the roster, or at least by then the cuts will have to be in. I'm not sure if we'll know right off the bat, but if I remember back to previous seasons, we incrementally find out the cuts throughout the day from either different Bills reporters, national reporters. You'll see some players post you know, So Long Buffalo on Instagram, on their own social media, things like that. So we might have a very clear picture of what the Bills roster looks like even well before the 4 o'clock deadline. But tune into the station tomorrow throughout the day to find out who is being released. I think wide receiver has gotten interesting again to see what the Bills will do. you still got the four locks and Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and Emmanuel Sanders with injuries to Isaiah McKenzie and Marquez Stevenson compounded with Marquez Stevenson's big returns in the preseason and showing well in training camp. I think what you might see, especially with the new rule about injured reserve that you could pull guys on and off as much as you want or throughout the season. I wonder if you're going to see Seven guys make the team with Diggs, Beasley, Davis, Sanders, Kumaro, who I forgot to mention, McKenzie, and Stevenson. And then they will place McKenzie and Stevenson, or one of the two, on injured reserve. And maybe, I wonder if their return man on week one against the Steelers is Steven Sims. He has... Return experience playing for Washington. He has gadget offense experience playing for Washington as well. Now, I don't see him playing on offense, even in McKenzie's role. In fact, if you saw what the Bills did with Josh Allen in the game in the first half of Saturday's preseason victory, the role McKenzie plays, that 
slot receiver that would come in motion in front of or behind Josh Allen, looking for those swing passes, that slot receiver that would do a little instep and then go back for the screen pass. It was Matt Breida. Matt Breida was the guy filling in for Isaiah McKenzie on offense. So that could be his ticket to being active week one, even if it's not as a running back, if it's really just playing as Isaiah McKenzie. So that's going to be interesting. And whether they keep seven in the first place, I know Sal's talked about the threat that Stevenson could get poached if the Bills were to release him and try to put him on the practice squad. I think you do have to worry about that. I think it's maybe not, yeah, likely. Would it be over 50-50 that he gets claimed? I think probably, yeah. So, at that point, the question comes, well, can you live with losing Marquez Stevenson? I guess you can live with it, but do you want to lose him? The answer to that is probably no. But, I think McKenzie has to outrank him. In my opinion, if you're going to keep six, you move on from Stevenson. If you're going to keep six, you do not cut Isaiah McKenzie. He is too versatile. He plays every position. He play. He does everything the Bills ask him to do, and he does it well. He is an electric return man. He is, honestly, the Bills' best receiver with the ball in his hands. His ability to cut side to side, to turn on the, the boost and get to full speed quicker than anybody in a straight line except for Diggs, maybe. You're, you're throwing screen passes to a wide receiver. McKenzie's the guy you want. You're running a guy in motion. McKenzie's the guy you want. And to me, the difference between McKenzie and Stevenson in the return game, if there is even one at all, is negligible. I think the way I would want the Bills to operate punt return, the position is, what does the guy do for me the rest of the field? Can he play in kickoffs? Can he play on offense? Can he do defense? Something for me? If he's just strictly a return man, I don't want that guy on my roster. And McKenzie can do a multitude of things. And I think Stevenson has the potential to do that. But I didn't see him getting an opportunity to do it. Not other than the fourth quarter of the preseason. Now, maybe there is more there. And if the Bills believe there is more for Stevenson to give on offense and they're only going to keep six, then I'm open to the possibility that that's the right decision. But, man, I I love McKenzie as a player. I always have. He is so perfect as a punt returner in the National Football League. He's exactly what you want. You just want a guy that's versatile and that can get the job done. The difference between the best returners in the league and the worst returners in the league is so minute that it's not even worth it to compare. Don't even compare it. But what else can you do for me? And to me, right now, advantage McKenzie. Defensive end has also become very interesting. It's really always been interesting since draft day, so I don't really need to say has become. They trade Bam Johnson to the Panthers for a sixth-round pick. Good job by them. I thought Addison was the guy that made more sense to deal because I thought Johnson played more special teams, give you more in that area than the other guys, but they decided to move on from him. Addison, I do think, is a better defensive end. So now the question becomes, is that it? Is the six the six they're going to keep? And how many will they dress on game day? Last season, they only dressed four. They had five guys on the roster, 
and they would rotate, really they would rotate who was inactive between Trent Murphy and AJ Epinesa. And I don't know if you can warrant keeping six defensive ends if you're only going to have four be active. But it might be it might be a moot point because F.A. Obata, Boogie Basham, and even Greg Rousseau, although Rousseau seems to be so good on the edge that you just don't even want to touch it. But those three guys, and especially the prior, Obata and and Basham, if those two have showed you the flexibility and the, vers- the versatility to move into the inside and play defensive tackle when you need them to, especially with the injury to Harrison Phillips, then I think that's their ticket to keeping six ends. Because then I can dress five on game day. I'll make one inactive. So I'm still dressing an extra end than I did last season, but I'm going to dress one fewer defensive tackle. So really, they could end up dressing the same amount of defensive linemen, game in and game out. I could see that. Week one, who's most likely to dress? Rousseau, Hughes are, are gimmies. Oliver and Latulale are gimmies. That's my starters. All right, well, one more tackle and three more ends. That works. Vernon Butler, if Phillips can't play, and if Phillips can play, maybe Butler is inactive. So one of those two. And then Obata and Basham are active because of their ability to kick inside and ability to play on the ends. Epinesa is active, and he'll be a rotational piece on the end. And I make Mario Addison a healthy scratch. He kind of plays that Trent Murphy role that Murphy played last year. He doesn't play on game days. He plays in a pinch when you need him. And he's a veteran in the locker room. It'll help the guys on the sidelines. It'll help the guys in the locker room. I'm not sure that's a role Mario Addison wants to play, but I think it's just really the reality of where the Bills are at defensive end. I don't know how you're dressing six. Especially if I'm already talking about maybe dressing an extra running back in Matt Breda. If I'm talking about dressing an extra wide receiver, the numbers get tough if you keep six ends on the game day roster. I think you can keep six ends on the 53, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a unique a unique decision the Bills have to make. I think game one, and my prediction right now would be unless they find another trade partner, maybe my Addison trade prediction still comes true, even though they traded Bam Johnson already. Because five defensive ends is fine. If you roll with the five that you got without Addison, you're fine. You still got depth at the position. Lots of it. You still do. But otherwise, I think Addison's probably in position to be inactive. Because, I mean, I guess Obata could be inactive. But he seems to be the guy they trust in the middle more than any of those other ends right now. I don't think they want to do it with with Rousseau. And because of Obata's veteran status and his size advantage over Boogie Basham, I think he makes more sense to be your, your number one option there for a guy to move in the middle. So maybe, maybe Basham. Maybe Basham's inactive to start the season. That's a possibility. How would you rank him? I would rank him Addison number one, Basham number two, Obata number three. That's how I'd look at it. 803 is the phone number. Bryson DeChambeau, the villain golf needs. Get into that when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. 
Patrick, can you stop blocking? Now he just asked Patrick Cantley to stop watching, didn't he? Okay, he, stopped stopped he certainly did, yeah. Did a great one, bud. <laughs> I, I hate DeChambeau, and I love that I hate him. That's Bryson DeChambeau of the PGA Tour. In the BMW Championship yesterday, in a six-hole wild playoff between himself and Patrick Cantlay, who ends up winning... DeChambeau, who has had these run-ins, these moments, with seemingly everybody he comes in contact with on tour, including his own staff. I mean, he fired his caddy over, like, something stupid earlier in the year. He gets into it with rules officials all the time about, like, an anthill that he was upset about. Like, the guy is just, he's mad at everybody all the time. And he's this big, you know... He's this big, bulky-looking guy. He he's got the the like the French hat. I don't know what to call it. It's not a beret, so it's not French, I guess. But you know what I'm talking about. He's got the chin. Like he looks like a Disney villain. He does. He looks like if if Disney had a animated golf movie, Bryson DeChambeau would be the villain. And he is becoming and has become a villain on the PGA Tour. And I gotta tell you, I don't think the PGA Tour has ever had a villain. Has the PGA Tour ever had a villain? Didn't we not like Sergio Garcia for a while? I know some people don't like Tiger Woods. I know Bulldog doesn't like Tiger Woods. But, have we ever had like a real villain where we've all like simultaneously been hating on a guy? And like, wow, look at this jerk. And we're spreading around the videos of him yelling at Patrick Hanley, hey, stop walking. I gotta hit my shot. He's walking, by the way. He explained this after because they were warned by the PGA Tour officials they were playing too slow. Which is always DeChambeau. DeChambeau is the one that's making them play too slow. Because he takes forever to line up his shots. So here's Cantlay like, trying to get a head start to get to his ball. And DeChambeau stops like almost right before he starts swinging. He's like, hey, hey you, stop walking. Just hit your, hit your ball. Just hit your ball. You're going to implode anyway. He does it anyway. He has these incredible 60 uh, score rounds, and he looks like the best golfer on earth. And then for the next nine holes, he's like, he can't, he can't keep his drive in the fairway. He can't, he's hitting it into the water. He's hitting it into rocks. Like, he just becomes, he just blows up. He's perfect for what golf needs. For a decade plus, Golf has been searching for the next Tiger. Because what did Tiger do? Tiger brought everybody to the sport. He he ascended beyond the sport. Tiger was bigger than golf. And that drew people in. And what we've been searching for for over a decade since is that same level of golfer. Is there a guy that can transcend the sport that can be so good that he gets people that don't typically enjoy the sport to invest and to love it. And we've gone round and round, right? Right after Tiger, we thought Rory McIlroy could do it, and then he didn't win a major for the last 10 years. We thought Jordan Spieth, who had, who had his moment in the sun, a couple majors in a row, like, okay, maybe this is the guy that's going to do it. Brooks Kepka had a year or two years there where every major, he's first or second, but really the last year, year and a half, he's kind of started to fade a little bit. Everybody kind of takes their turn. 
and they don't live up to it because it's it's an unfair bar to 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 live up to is tiger what if we've been searching for the wrong thing the whole time you're not going to find another tiger woods but how about a true sports villain that everybody tunes into to root against that's how i got into basketball I got into basketball because LeBron James went to Miami, and I hated him for it. You quit on your hometown. You quit on my Rust Belt small market to go to South Beach. I'm I'm tuning in to root against you. And maybe DeShambo can reach that, or at least get to some level of that. He's already ascended to me to be the, like the most hated golfer I've ever seen. But it's for good reason. He's a jerk. But him being a jerk might draw people in. Yesterday, I'm I was I was not watching the BMW Championship. I was out golfing myself. But there were a couple times where I had to wait for my for my tee shot and I check in on Twitter and it seemed like everybody was talking about the BMW Championship. But wh- what? The what? The BMW Championship? We care about that? It's not the Masters. It's not the Open. It's not the U.S. Open. It's not even the players. It's the BMW Championship. But people were talking about it, and people were interested in it, because it's him. And because he's yelling at the other golfer, and he's having these crazy drives, he's swinging like as hard as he can. He's truly a Disney golf villain. And I think he's good for the sport. I'll continue to root against him, but I will be glad every time that I'm watching him that he exists, if that can make any sense. Um, All right, that is going to do it, though, tonight for the Nightcap. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Tune into the station bright and early tomorrow, 6 o'clock with Howard and Jeremy. Um, I don't – this is a guess, but I think we'll have some some cut news throughout the day. That seems to be typically how tomorrow goes – so tune into the station. We'll keep you updated here on WGR. Uh, if you can't, if you're not by radio, check us out on Twitter at WGR550 or at WGR550.com, um, and stay glued to what the Bills' final 53-man roster is going to be shaped into tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We'll talk about it after all of it is uh, is done. It's seven o'clock tomorrow. Until then, have a good night. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Mm-hmm.